Hello and welcome to Casting Nets Podcast. I'm Pastor David Endorf at Brooklyn Lutheran Church in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. It's good to have you with us today. With me is Pastor William Harley at St. John's in Maribel and Pastor David Rudet, who's already used his joke for the day, so he can't use any more. You gave me a lot of, you said, Dave, come up with as many canon puns as you can. And so I, I have plenty, right, I plenty of cannon fodder for you guys. Why can you never use a cannon in hot weather? Because it shoots itself at 90 degrees. <laughs> and finally, what do you call a camera that shoots out true facts about an ancient Phoenician city? A camera that shoots out true facts about an ancient Phoenician city. You call it a Canon 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 Canon. Oh, jeez. We, we really need to move on before this gets bad. <laughs> so today we are we are pulling the trigger on the biblical canon as a way to follow up on our biblical inspiration podcast and because it's fun to talk about and cannons and so the the word cannon comes from the greek word canon meaning rule or law and it's basically just uh, a list for a rule about hey these are the books that belong in the bible that belong in god's word and when we talk about the biblical canon, we usually talk about the Old Testament canon and the New Testament canon. And so we're going to talk about both of those, and then we're going to lay out how they developed. We're going to go through a little bit of the controversies concerning them and about why you can have confidence in the the Bible that you read and you use in worship. Before we do Sound that, right? Sounds about right. Yeah, before we good do show. that, yeah, before we do that, we probably should give a disclaimer because, um, you know, with those canon yeah. jokes, someone is going to be offended. Um, someone, and not just triggered. Well, I think there's there's fire really away, Esther Will Harley. <laughs> well, then, um, the views and opinions of this show are not necessarily supported by our calling bodies or of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. Um, all of the jokes that will be shared t- today are definitely not uh, backed by any of us other than Pastor Dave Rudot, um, and are probably not funny except to Pastor Dave Rudot. <laughs> um, if you have any comments or concerns or things that you would like to add to the show, you may do so in the show notes or contact us, any of us at our local congregations, or you can also send us an email at castingnetspod at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to hear from you because it is the beginning of a conversation and not the end of a conversation. Me being on the show should be enough of a trigger warning for you that um, things may go off the rails and um, you may be offended at certain times. If you are, just fast forward or find something else much better and more insightful to listen to. I think I hit every one of our concerns. Uh, you misfired a little bit. Uh, if anybody likes what they're doing, I mean, that's oh, the flip that's side. You, you forget, you, you just make that assumption that nobody's going to like what we put out. <laughs> 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 well, <you know. laughs> 
if if you like it, um, feel free to share it, um, and uh, you have our permission to do that. You can also uh, like it on YouTube, or if you're li- watching it on on Facebook, give us a like. Not don't give us a like. Give the content or the idea alike uh we don't necessarily need the accolades our heads are big enough as it is but it does help the algorithms get this content to other people as well if if it's liked or if it's commented on or if it's shared sounds good to me Take it away, Dave. No. Let me see if I can get the the flashy buttons right. This is what happens when you hand the show over to someone else and we just say, go and do it. Yes. <laughs> so here's here's why it's a question. When you're looking at the Old Testament, you know, we have everything nice and bound in one book, but it, it wasn't inspired that way and so here you look at a list of the the books of the bible chronologically arranged and there there are um a couple of open questions there that we're gonna skip over but you look at at job and that really was the the first book of the Bible that was written. So there's a, a fun fact, you know, Genesis obviously covers material that was ri- that's older than the book of Job, but the first one that was written down is the book of Job. And then you have Moses writing the first five books of the Bible in 1500 BC, and then you. I scroll down to cover another thousand years of history, and you look at at Malachi down here, Nehemiah, Esther, and we've got a, a thousand years of history and and thirty nine different books, and and that's not counting the fact that all of the Psalms. Here, we got 150 different psalms that were used in worship, and and somebody had to put all of that together into one book and and into a usable format for people to use. And as we're looking at that, the question is, how did that happen? So who wants to start first with a commentary about how that happened in the Old Testament? So I, I think we can first start out with uh, with just like a, a basic comment that I think Ezra is is the one um, who who kind of is given credit for um, putting the, the majority of the Old Testament uh, books compiled together. Um, not that he sought them out and chose them and said, okay, I'll have this one over that one. Um, but, but Ezra was the one, uh, led by the Lord, um, as, as he recognized the Lord's work and the words that he has given to his church and his people to, to put those together, um, and his group of, of people that he had working with him. I I think that's probably where you would start and you would say, 
okay, well, Ezra did that work, but then what gave the community the right to do that? And I think maybe that's where we open up that door to the to the real conversation of of how the compilation of these books came together, right? And and how we say, okay, these are the ones that that are the scriptures God breathed for us. I guess I'm not not following you there because I, I think I might have gone back a step before <laughs> that, and I, I'd have said that you know there were there were be- before that different compilations that you you already had before the time of Ezra. You know, you you had the priests who were putting together the psalms into to books, so you had a bunch of different psalm writers, and the the priests put that together. You know, and they could, of course, inquire directly of God. You know, you have um, different schools of the prophets who were working with prophecy. You have uh, Samuel, who's doing some of the work uh, of keeping track of, of what's going on in the kingdom. You obviously have Moses in the first five books, and, and the the priests are, are keeping track of, of his books. And so it's not a matter of when, and so when it gets to Ezra, you know, he's not dealing with, you know, 39 individual books at that point in time. You know, he's got a a couple of different collections of books that he's dealing with is kind of what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. I I think you have, I mean, you, you have some things that are, um, canonical before we have maybe the the close of the old testament canon um so you do have the pentateuch that was there i mean those were the first five books mm-hmm. of moses um you have um you have the the joshua and and his re- record of coming in you have ruth that that finds its way in there um you have the histories that make their way in and and the histories are interesting because you have um, first and second kings that are kind of pre uh, before Babylonian uh, captivity, and then you have the chronicles, which are after the Babylonian captivity. And what makes uh, first and second kings and first and second chronicles an interesting book is because when you go into the the New Testament and you're looking at um, the Lord's words, Jesus' words himself, and referring back to the scriptures. Uh, He says, you know, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. He doesn't say the histories. (laughs) And and so you have 1st and 2nd Kings and and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, which are firmly in the histories, right? They're outside of that that necessarily. uh, And and you might even want to say Joshua's in there too. Um, And and Ruth ends up being in that kind of history idea. And so, um, you know, you you have those, I, I think you do have those divisions and those breaks. Um, but you still come back down to, you know, where did the authority come from that they were recognized for being what they were? And and you don't have any one person, Ezra, or even the people that were putting them together, the the uh, Levitical priests, saying, okay, we're going to use this and not that. Um, I mean, we know that Solomon wrote many, many psalms that aren't in part of the, the psalms that we have, the 150 um, and, you know, Solomon wrote a lot of things that weren't there and, and David sang a lot of things that aren't there. Um, so saying that, you know, these people made these compilations were is true, but, but again, the authority behind those compilations, um, came from somewhere else. And, and I think that's, that's, 
when we start talking about the canon, we'd have to start talking about what did they recognize that maybe people today don't see. And, and that leads us to a, a probably a broader conversation of its, of its self-edifying nature, right? Um, the words built up God's people. Um, they were self-authoritative. Okay. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. Self-authenticating, even, yeah. yep. you, you might say. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's one of the things that I, I guess I was trying to point out is that by the time, you know, of the work of, of Ezra, you know, towards the end of, of what we might think of as the, the Old Testament period, you know, a lot of those Old Testament books had already been established by the work of the Holy Spirit through his word. And and so it wasn't a matter of Ezra saying, you know, I'm going to pick all of these books off of the shelf and say, I like these 39. It was a matter of recognizing, you know, these have already established themselves among God's people. You know, this is what Josiah read when, when, um, when the reform happened, you know, that type sure. of a, a situation. And I would agree with you, Hunter. I, I would agree with that. I think I think you do run into some problems, though, even with that. You know, you have books like Esther, right, where um, I know Luther had had an issue with Esther, um, where he looks at it and is like, well, you don't have God mentioned <laughs> anywhere in, in that book. Um, although we do see the work of the Lord in it, um, we don't see the Lord's name there. Uh, printed. So you do have some of those where where it is only by the Lord's hand, as you were saying, where you see, okay, the Lord, the Spirit preserves these things and and um, kept them where they should have been. Because you look at it and you say, well, Esther doesn't have the name Lord. Why should it have been there? Well, God preserved it there. Um, and it was for a reason. Um, you look at some of the minor prophets and you're like, those are horrible. I don't think anybody in the people of Israel would want those prophets to continue to have their books and their letters propagated. I mean, they were pretty bad against the people of Israel <laughs> um, and, and cursing them. And yet they're there. Um, so I think there's some, they're, they're coming back and saying, this is outside of our control is, is a really good place to start. I believe. I, I would completely uh, agree with you on that. And and so one of the, the things and, and the first points we want to make clear is that when it comes to establishing the book of the canon, you know, this is not something where the church is in charge of picking out the books and it's the authority of the church that dis, that determined the books of the Bible. You know, it is instead a matter of the church listening to the voice of of God and saying, yeah, this is this is God's word, and we accept that. And that's one of the things that distinguishes um, our view of the biblical canon from, say, the Roman Catholic Church or the a lot of modern Christianity, where they put the church as a judge of what gets included in the Bible in the canon. You know, we would not say that. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't the Catholic and and please correct me if I'm wrong. Wouldn't the Catholic Church say that it is the divinely inspired councils 
that made those decisions um, that that uh, God led those councils to make the the calls on which books would be included and which wouldn't, and then they would refer back to councils such as like the Council of Nicaea um, and things of that nature. A- am I wrong in that and how that played out or in their theology yeah. their thought is? Yeah, and, and I don't know if they'd necessarily always go with by specifically confining it to councils, but they would definitely say it is, you know, that the canon derives its authority from the church as opposed to the, the God's word builds up the church and the church comes from the means of grace. Through the very words that he has provided in his canon. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's really kind of interesting, and and maybe there's some room to be said here because we're going to see it when we get to the conversation of the New Testament, especially um, that that there are many places that didn't have the entirety of the canon, and yet God's word still flourished, and God's word still provided for His people. Um, I, I know you have that, like I said, definitely in the New Testament with the different letters that have gone out, and and sometimes that's all they had, um, but. You know, in in the very beginning, you know, you might have had the letter of Job, right? Mm-hmm. Or you have the the Pentateuch. That's that's what all you have. You have the first five books of Moses. Um, you know, that was that was what they had. Um, and yet the Lord's work still was there. So I mean, there you see the Lord's. I guess I'm coming back to the the fact that, and maybe this is a consolation for our people. Um, we we like to say, well, we have the Bible and we give the Bible and it's all 66. And and then we like to divide it up and we say, well, some portions are all law and some portions are gospel. N- no, <laughs> um, any portion will give you what you need. It'll share Christ for you, right? Um, and, and that's Jesus' words. Um, everything had to be fulfilled that was in the, you know, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Or as Jesus said, absolutely. In, or as Jesus said in Luke eleven, uh, where he talks about the blood being spilt, this generation will be held accountable for the blood of all the prophets that have been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, which would be the olden, the everything, sure. including the histories, <clears throat> as being held accountable. So he's Jesus himself is authenticating all of the Old Testament as we have it today. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah. And and that would be the the next step that we would go on is, you know, that as the Old Testament was assembled, you know, we we recognize that it is, you know, the power of God working through his word that does it, that it was, first of all, that it was also written by people who had, who were inspired, you know, the prophets, the priests, the kings, that it was, um, and then finally, as Pastor Rudette brings up, um, you know, you, you have the testimony of, of Christ and the apostles that validates it for us. You know, and then the one I like is Christ on the road to Emmaus as, as he opens up their hearts and he explains, um, you know, everything about the Old Testament. And I, I think if there's if there's one of those things in the, the Bible that I, I really want to I want to be there for 
you know, that's one of them is, is just to be there and to listen to Jesus as he explains all of the Old Testament and, and how it points to him. That's, that's one of those things I'm jealous about. I would want to have been there for that. And so when it comes to trusting the Old Testament, you know, there's a lot of things that we could point to. You know, we could point to the Dead Sea Scrolls and say, look, we got copies that are a, a thousand years older than the previously known copies, and there are no significant material changes to them. You know, and that shows how God's preserved his word. And, and that's a neat thing to point out. But the important thing to point out and what we trust in is the testimony of Christ and the promise of God. That's what we rely on. And, and that's what we have in the New Testament. Well, it's it's, it's interesting because I think if you were a, a bystander, you know, somebody non, non-catechized, not even... Uh, well, just saying you're non, non-Christian, you're atheist, whatever. You look at this and you would say, this is the, the greatest part of circular reasoning that you could ever have, right? They, they'd kind of look at this and they would say, so you believe in the canon, you believe in, the, in these particular pieces of scripture as the authority and the rule for your life because it says so. Because it because it says that it is, and it and it says that everything that we have is, is what it is, um, and because Jesus said so. Um, and so you would look at that and you would say, okay, you can see where the circular reasoning is. I think we have to, we, we, we have to pull the trigger on it and and hence the pull the trigger on the cannon (laughs) and say, yeah, um, we believe that the scriptures are what they are because they are self authenticating. They point back to themselves and they give themselves the authority, um, because they are God's word and God's word is authoritative. Um, now somebody else looking in without faith would say that is the worst possible way for you to prove something except for when you look at, you know, any writings of anybody, um, that we have from history and you say, well, how do we know they wrote it? Because they signed it. Well, but how do you know that was them? Because that's what they signed. But how do you know that they wrote that? Because they said so. (laughs) Yeah, the complete works of William Shakespeare. Did he actually write that? You know, he's too, he's not smart enough to have written that. Well, he put his name to it, so we yeah. say he wrote it. <laughs> exactly. So we would say that in any other historical document, we would say, yeah, that's true because they signed it. Yes, it's true because they said so. When we look at the scriptures, note that circular reason you can't accept that because. <laughs> yeah, and 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 as we talk about it, I I would also add. You know, there are always other things in the life of a Christian that that we would point to as well. You know, that in our lives and in my life, you know, what is the problem? The problem is sin, you know, and who is it who is very clear that that's the problem? It is Christ. And and he has gotten the, the, the problem right, so I trust him for the solution. You know, and and I listen to what other people tell me the problem is, and I can see that they're wrong. And and so I don't listen to them for the solution. You know, you can look at the fulfilled prophecies of Christ, you know, and and you can see the 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 proof that we have in that, you know, um, 
And, and that is one of the signs and wonders that point to the deity of Christ. You know, you can look at the resurrection of Christ and, and see that. Um, and, and so it's not just the, the circular reasoning. But finally, it also comes down to just understanding that there are limitations to human reason and that anybody who thinks they have something other than circular reasoning doesn't understand their own limitations and they got to figure that out before they start pointing fingers. Um, so I, I guess maybe this is a question that, that we could have brought up a little bit sooner, but maybe now is a good time. Are there a set of standards that, that we could point to and say, you know, here, here's a, here's a good set of standards that, that would be applied to why these are in, why these particular books are in the canon. Uh, why do we have 66 books in the Bible? Why is this the way it is? Um, do we have any, do we have any, like um, um, when the, when the canon was being formalized and they were, they were, they were going to close it and they're going to say, we're not adding any more to this. And we're This is it. Um, were there some standards that they followed? Do you do you have any of those available? I mean, I get in my own head. I have a couple of that were probably there, but but I mean, do you have any that you had in your preparing of the documentation for today that you wanted to share? Did you want to talk about that? I, I kind of do. I, I, oh, oh well, I, no, I was pointing to Pastor Ruet. Oh, oh, he, he asked a question to Dave. I'm, my only answer is is that it, you know, I really wish everyone Ezra would have shown his work. I mean, come on. I, I know, and cited his sources. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he should have been. He should have been exactly like the scholastics of today. You know, and the academics of today. He should have known this is what we're looking for. We're looking for primary sources and and all those things and a proper bibliography, double spaced. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, sorry. And notes. <laughs> notes. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah. Okay, because, they, I mean, they absolutely did in the, as they were preparing lists for the um, New Testament, and and the, the, the standards that we're talking about there is that, you know, you're looking at authorship. You know, was this an apostle? Was this an evangelist? Was this somebody who spent time with Christ? Um, does this agree with the Old Testament? You know, is, is this something that um, is... And then when it comes to, to... I guess, are we moving on to the New Testament then, or... Well, I, I just I want to know if there were standards, you know, in other words, things that they looked at and said, okay, you know, anybody could have written anything, but and we know that, and and when we talk about the minor prophets, you had many false prophets who wrote a lot of stuff. Why not their stuff? Was there a standard, um, and and what that standard was? Um, Ultimately, it, it comes down to the promise of the Messiah, and what does this have to do with Christ? And, and those things that that had to do with Christ were were things that they they kept, and things that were saved, and those things that didn't were things that weren't kept and weren't saved. And so, you have something like the Book of Esther, which doesn't seem to talk about 
Jesus or the Messiah, you know, and, and yet it's all about preserving the line of the Savior and preserving God's people. And I love the book of Esther for that reason, because this is how God works in my life, you know, and, and I've never had you know, burning fire from the skies. I've never had, you know, a miracle. I've never had any of those miraculous signs, but I've had, you know, uncountable coincidences that the the book of Esther is filled with that have led to, um, you know, hearing God's word and, and being a pastor and remaining in the faith that you know, I can point to that I can say with Mordecai, who knows, but for such a time as this, and and that's what God says, that that's what he's at work for. And and so as as God's people were at work in his word and looking at what was profitable, you know, it was always that focus on the promise of the Messiah is what it comes down to. So, so I mean, I I think we could definitely say that they did have a um, a standard, and the standard was first of all the edification of God's people and the continuation of the promise and the authority of God, and and maybe the second standard, the authority of God seen in that um, as He gave those words to say. Um, probably, I would assume they didn't counteract all those other words that were given, like the laws of Moses. <laughs> <laughs> again, Moses wrote them, why he signed them. <laughs> um, and, and did they counteract what, what Moses was saying? Um, I had heard a long time ago that, you know, everything in the old Testament really is a, is just a continuation and a building off of those first five books um, that, that everything that the old Testament is going to be talking about and what it will build on has already been shared in the first five. And so if it went away from that, it wasn't part of it. And, and I think there's yeah, absolutely, yeah. And 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 again, back to the Book of Esther. You know, that's what you see. This is again the the faithfulness of God keeping that promise. You will be my people, and I will take care of you. You know, even though Haman, you know, the Agagite doesn't want to. Right. So if we hear news reports, members at Brooklyn Lutheran Church, if we hear news reports of anybody building a huge pole in their backyard, <laughs> getting watch ready to out. watch out. <laughs> I'm going to try to share a, a quote from um, Miletus. A second century bishop of of Sardis. Uh, Greetings. Since you have often asked, employing urgency in the request that there be extracts for you from the law and the prophets concerning the Savior and and our entire faith, and moreover, you desired to learn the facts of the old books in regard to their number and their order, I have diligently accomplished this, knowing your diligence in regard to the faith and love of learning, in regard to the word, and that more than all things you prefer these because of your love for God as you, are, as you struggle concerning eternal salvation. So this is, he, he has one of the famous 
This is from the book of Bible canon lists. I feel like I'm nerdy enough to admit I have a book where it is just lists of lists of the Bible. And you read it. And I, and I read it, yeah. Um, but this is his introduction to his brother saying, I wrote this list because I know how you struggle in your faith and you want to know these are the inspired books of God. And because I love you, these are the inspired books of God. And, and that's where it comes from. That's why we have these lists. And that's the standard that we've been talking about is I want you to have faith. This is where faith comes from. Read these books. Yeah. And this is the faith that preserved people from the beginning to now. Yeah. I like and it. That's where all of, all of those lists come from that made the canon. Which is certainly against the narrative of it's all about power and establishing power or there are factions within the Christian church and one faction becomes more popular or more powerful than the other and then it exerts itself by these are the books that are, we're going to be using for our authority. Yeah, I, I, but I think it also raises the question though that you know we have uh, we do have Christian denominations and and one in particular that does focus on books that are not recognized as part of the canon and they, and they treat them as such though. Um, I mean, for people who are familiar with the Catholic tradition, right? They have an added section of books that take place in the intertestamental period. Um, which is a really big name called the Apocrypha. And, and how did that come about? Why is that there? Maybe, maybe, I mean, because you get a, and I have one in my bookshelf, um, you know, it's a English standard version, you know, I, English standard version, very, very good version of the, of the scriptures, but they made one specifically for, the Catholics and it takes the Apocrypha and it takes the book of the Apocrypha and it kind of intersperses them where they think they should have been placed in the normal canon um, of the old Testament. And, and, and you would read it and you'd be like, okay, well, this is the Bible. And all of a sudden you would come across, you know, bell and the dragon and you come across, um, you know, Maccabees and you, you come across some of these and you're like, I don't remember memorizing those as part of, a part of the, the 39 books of the old Testament. So what do you got for us on that? I, I guess just to, just to be clear about some terminology, um, there are, are deuterocanonical books, which are, is a fancy word that means a second canon. And those were seven very specific, mostly historical books that were added to the old Testament. Um, after the Hebrew books were written, they were added to the, the, Septu the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And they were added uh, because there's some profitable history there. There's some profitable wisdom there. Um, but we wouldn't say that they're inspired. They're interesting. They're neat. Um, and then there's the Apocrypha, which are... Uh, words that those are the type of books that they want to seem like they're 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 written in the style of the Bible, 
and and they're meant to imitate the Bible. But when you read them, you can understand how they separate themselves from the messianic promise, how their focus is on something else, on on being a good person. Or um, I, I think one of the ones that I is probably most interesting and applies the most here is you you look at the apocryphal stories of Elijah, how he'll uh, appear to a ruler in that period between the Old Testament and the New Testament and find out, oh, this is a bad ruler, and so I'm going to put him to death. Or he'll appear to a, a good person who happens to be poor, so he'll find them a bag of gold hidden in their in their field you know and that that's what they thought elijah's job was to you know not to point people to jesus but to you know if you were poor but a good person to help you find gold and if you were rich but a bad person to kill you you know and, and that's why there's so many problems you know now you know why they worried if jesus was elijah come back <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. And and why John the Baptist when when they ask him, Are you Elijah? He says, Forget what you know about Elijah. I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the paths for the Lord. Because what they know about Elijah is so messed up, he points them back to the prophecies. Forget the apocryphal works, go to the prophets, listen to them you know, is what he's saying, you know, and so that's what the Apocrypha is. And then you have what's called the Pseudepigrapha, is people who, you know, wrote under a false name and, and claimed to be a biblical author to make their writings sound more authoritative. You know, I'm Thomas, you should listen to me. I've written the Gospel of Thomas. And there's Isn't that no way Thomas would have written... Isn't that part of the Gospel of Thomas? I'm trying to remember. remember off the top of my head. I just I'm, I'm know trying to remember. That's, that's the one where Jesus laughs at his disciples all the time because they're so stupid. So it mentions that he laughs at them. It's like a very yep. the whole Gnostic. Yeah. And that's the one where he was a baby, and they or they go through like his early life where he was picking on kids, and he was. Yeah, and then and he then puts I, his friend to death and raises yep. him to life just yeah, to see if he was, can. Yep. Yep, I had heard that, yep. and I think that one. I want to say that one. That one was the Gospel of Thomas was the one also that said, you know, near the end that that the Lord promised He would be in every rock and every piece of nature and every. I'm trying to. I. I there was a, a program on the Discovery Channel about it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just gonna watch it, and then it raised my blood pressure, and <laughs> I, I had to shut it off halfway through. So I was trying to remember what I was watching. So. I just always tell my members the Discovery Channel is bad at theology, so don't watch it. It is, um, but it was one of those where you're like, I just, you, you have that in, gut instinct to say, I want to see what's out there and what people are going to try to believe. And and I think that's, you know, there is something, some truth to that. They try, because it comes back every year around Easter. It comes back. It does. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And and the thing about these things is is that, you know, there's the obvious conspiracy theories. These are the books your pastor doesn't want you to know about. And, I would prefer and the they reality didn't. is, what's that? I said, I would prefer they didn't. 
I, I would prefer they, they didn't bother with them because we've got better things to do. Yep. But the reality is, just read them. And, and you're going to see, this is not about the Messiah. This is not God's word. And, and you're not going to be bothered by it. And and the biggest way to understand that the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha are not God's word is to just read it. And, and they're not hidden because it's a conspiracy. They're hidden because they're just not worth it. And so as the New Testament writings were being sent to, to different churches and people were doing then what we do now, hey, I found this great book, you go ahead and read it. They just stopped passing them around. They said, hey, I found this Gospel of Thomas, and, and they read it, and they said, eh, thanks. Yeah. And then they just didn't pass it on. And so what you have in the gathering of the New Testament is, you know, that same recognition. I'm going to pass, you know, First and Second Corinthians on because there's a lot of good stuff here. I'm not going to pass on the Gospel of Thomas because... Not so good. Stuff. It's not playing with a full deck, right? You know, right? Now, and again, you would have the same question that people would ask, though. That you know, were they picking and choosing? And and again, we would point back to no. This is the Holy Spirit edifying His church, and they they knew this was truth. They, they were convinced of it. Um, and you could re you could go back to many sources uh, of Paul himself referencing. You know, you did not you didn't believe me um, because I made this stuff up. You, you, you saw it for what it is, God's word for you, right? Um, this is God's word for you. And, and the recognition that um, even Peter gives, uh, what is it in First Peter, when he, you know, is saying to the Romans, you know, you have the letters of Paul. You, you have them with you. And, and some of them are hard sayings, but they're from the Lord, right? Um, these, are, these are God's words of scripture to you. And, and as we, um, as we look at, at those things, you know, we see that self-authenticating nature of God's word, and we recognize that we still have that freedom to to read stuff and to say, well, I think this is God's word, or I think this isn't God's word, and we still come to those same conclusions that they did, and we still make that same. A determination or conclusion that they did this is god's word and and this isn't and or we come to that same recognition yeah. is maybe a better way to put it um and so that leads us then to the question about an open canon or a closed canon and that question is do we expect there to be more than 66 books of the bible or has God said there's only going to be 66 books in the Bible? And this is a surprisingly contentious question out there, because some people are very diehard on both sides. Um, that you don't have a specific promise that says there's going to be 66 books of the Bible. We have them. It's done. And you have some people who will point to like 1 Corinthians 13, 8 and say, prophecy will cease. And that has happened. And so there will be no more books. Anybody who claims to have another book is a false prophet. What do you guys think? 
Pastor Rudon, you want to begin? I want to say that uh, Pastor Harley was right because while you guys were talking, I was reading the Gospel of Thomas and you know growing in my understanding. And he does say that in the Gospel of Thomas, I believe it's number 77, where he says, let me get it. It is I who am, let's see, split a piece of wood and I am there. Lift up a stone and you will find me there. It is I who am the light who is above all. It is I who am the all. From me did all come forth and unto me did all extend. Split a piece of wood and I am there. Lift up a stone and you will find me there. So as, I guess. So my memory didn't fail. Your memory did not fail you. He also ended the book by saying he's going to make Mary into a man because men cannot. Men are the only ones that can inherit the kingdom of God. I did not remember. I didn't watch the end of the video. I didn't get that. (laughs) (laughs) But that is horrible. And not. I had forgotten that point. Yes. So I'm sorry. (laughs) I went down a rabbit hole. (laughs) That never happens. Um, Coming back to the point. What was your question again? Um, oh, uh, is it a closed canon or is it an open canon? And I, I guess um, to start off that, my my, my view on that, um, I, I, I kind of stand by the words of Revelation, do not add to this book nor subtract from it. Um, you know, I, 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 I kind of extrapolate that out to the, to the entirety of the scriptures, not just the book of Revelation. Um, I, I think uh, the Holy Spirit is wiser than I am, and through the pen of John, um, as he is the last, and he is sitting there as the last of the apostles, writing the book of Revelation, he he is saying, "We're done. You have everything you need for salvation, and there is nothing else that you will need um, outside of what I've already given and established and and preserved for you in the church." Um, and so, I I that's that's kind of my take on it. Um, I'm not saying that people can't have motivational thoughts that are, that, that are maybe have religious undertones and sound really nice, but they're not the gospel and they never will be. And I won't live by them. That's your root at. Well, I was going to say when the, in the question of an open canon or a closed canon, you think, well, um, Theoretically, you would say you're an open canon because the Bible authenticates itself. So if there's a, something that comes across your desk that is going to authenticate itself, you have to leave yourself open to that. But practically, it is a closed canon because there isn't anything that has come across our desk that is going to, that one, does not contradict what already has been written, or two, that adds to what already has been written. So but what you haven't written your memoirs yet. I haven't written my memoirs. <laughs> and well, and, and that to disqualify me, not given by the apostles. I, I just really like how in the book of Acts, how it talks about how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and, and so on, where it, you, you think of the, a little glimpse of how they viewed the apostles and what they wrote down was viewed as the same as if the apostle was like right there speaking to them. And so it, if the apostle is saying it or if he has written it down, this is something worth our attention. And then also, as Paul says in Galatians 1, it's got a, um, if it's not about the gospel, then let it be eternally condemned. If it's not, if it's telling us about that women can't enter into the kingdom of God, let them be eternally condemned. That this is not something worth our time. 
And I think that's an interesting concept that you make when you when you talk about, you know, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, and, and we look back and we look at, okay, the New Testament, you know, the apostles are the, the New Testament prophets, um, and, and the time of the apostles is done. Um, but you look, there's there's two that, that people would point to directly, and they would say, okay, well, maybe there's an issue here. And the first would be Paul, and they would say, okay, well, what about Paul? You know, Paul was not an apostle sent out. Um, but then you'd make the claim, well, he was called on the road to Damascus and, and he identifies as an apostle. He does. He, he identifies himself as an apostle and then refers back to, you know, um, I, this was Christ who's, who's given me this message. So, so maybe you can make an allowance there, but, but then what do you do for the allowance of Luke? You know, Luke who writes the majority of the new Testament, when you really put it down on paper and he, he wrote the gospel of Luke, he writes the, uh, um, he writes the gospel of Luke, he writes the book of Acts and, and you're like, well, where's his authority? He's not an apostle. And, and it's, from, um, it's from, yeah. Cause, and the, but then in the very first chapter, both of the books that he wrote, he said, this isn't my stuff. I, I interviewed, you know, this is, this is my investigative work that I've done where I did, uh, to speak talk to, to the, the apostles. Yeah, yeah, talk to the apostles. Yeah. So <laughs> and Mary. And, and specifically Paul. I mean, he spent a lot of time with Paul on his missionary journeys. You know, in the same way Mark spent a lot of time with Peter in Rome, and that's where he writes his gospel. You know. Yeah, but there's so, also some I, I, I think for I think you have a little bit more credence when you when you talk about Mark, John Mark, because you know, he's the only gospel that references the the disciple who runs away naked. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of people that have said that was and that was nudity him. makes you more authentic. <laughs> well, I'm not saying nudity makes you more authentic, but I think that that you have um Mark in that in in that section where no, he I, was I know yeah, yeah where he's with Christ and so you could say you know he's maybe not listed as a disciple of the 12 mm-hmm. but he was there and he was he witnessed um the lord and his work and his testimony um so i i think you have some people that would look at that and say yeah i'll give mark a, a pass um but it's interesting because when you talk about the new testament canon you talk about the old testament canon and and I understand the people who want to say, well, let's keep it open because they don't want to put a limit on what God can do. Right. And, and they don't want to put a limit on, on the fact that God could reveal something to us. But then you go to the, you go to the book of Hebrews and, and, and um, I don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. I have my good suspicions. I also have it under good authority. He liked coffee <laughs> because he brews. There you go. Um, but <laughs> wasn't a canon joke. Excellent. <laughs> um, but anyway. Wow. <laughs> you know, you have from the book of Hebrews that, you know, there there was a time for these things, but now we have Christ um, and, and those times are done. And so it, I don't think it is a bad thing to tell our people, here is your scriptures. It is done. And it's for you. And it's everything you need. Um, and you don't need to be waiting for another message to be coming from someone else or something else. Um, I think you start at, you start walking down a, a really wide road that that is kind of dangerous in the sense of of where you have you know the Muslim belief um, and things like that, where there's other things that can come, other prophet that might turn up and and give a message. I think that's a dangerous place to be 
personally. Yeah, yeah and that's your opinion. I, I yep, think it it's, is. And I'm not going to condemn you for having an open. I'm not uh, saying it's an open. And, I'm just saying theoretically, <laughs> theoretically, I'm saying it's open. You're boldly going where no man has gone before. Actually not. Um, but <clears throat> this idea that there is a possibility, but practically speaking, there isn't one right. because there isn't, we don't have any uh, apostles that are writing. They're not around anymore. Um, but just giving ourselves the, if someone were to say you're only holding on to that view because your church has said this is your canon and that's why you closed it, and you say no, you're theoretically we are open to it, but it's got to it's got to fit the rest of everything else. It's got to fit what we've already been given. If it's if it's giving us new information, then it's highly suspect. If it's going to lead us away from Christ, definitely not. Uh, so, and then I guess it answers the it, that comes back down to the question of why is it needed. And and I think that's always the follow up question, yeah, you know. So so you can say I'm open. To, so if you do want to stand on that and say, well, you know, we have everything that we need, but I'm open that the Lord can still do what the Lord would do. The question is, what more do I need then? Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, we have it all. <laughs> so what more? Yeah. I, mean, I even I even know how the end is going to. I even know how the end is going to turn out. Yeah. John. I mean. Jesus, John says in John 20, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you have life in his name. So we've got everything we need for life and the life to come. I would agree. Right. I'm not looking for anything more. Right. Yeah, I'm not looking for Jesus in a rock. <laughs> or, a, or a sex changed Mary. <laughs> yeah. That can enter. I told you beforehand there was a trigger warning. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and what I come what I come down to is, you know, Paul's words: "I desired to know nothing while I was with you, except for for Jesus and Him crucified." I haven't gotten to the end of that part yet, and so I'm I'm not. Re- if there's a part two, I'm not ready for that. So I'll. I'll I'll stick with that and and I'll rejoice in that. And I I think that one of the things I had I had promised at the beginning was how our our listeners can have confidence in the canon and the the book that that they read at home and the the Bible that they use in worship. And there are some points that that we have made. You know, there's the the inspiration of the authors, the the care that believers took as as they were assembling it, because those believers were just like you and me. They were looking to find out what God had to say to them because they struggled with their faith the same way we do. And they wanted to find God's word. They didn't want to gather together a bunch of clubs to rule the church. You know, but ultimately what it comes to is that the the God who cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Rose again from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father to rule the world for the good of his church. And he's the one who preserves his word for us. And he has promised that that, that word will never pass away. And so we trust in his promises. And as we read his word, as we read his gospel, that's the power of the Holy Spirit for the salvation of all who believe. There's a lot of fun topics to discuss here 
with the the Bible canon and with the different lists that are out there in, in history. But fundamentally, what it comes down to is God's promise that he will never leave you or forsake you. Good way to end the show. Thank you very much. And let's go into the post show if you are watching it on Facebook or on YouTube. Otherwise, uh, if you're listening to it, uh, see you next time on Casting Nets about real life living faith. Uh, next time we are talking about dualism and the Christian response to dualism. So it's going to be a really good show uh, next week. So join us then. Thanks. Have a great day.